from the dead He rose from the dead There's no one in the tomb oh. Come on, sing this again with me Father, we thank you and we praise you and we magnify you. We're so grateful and we're so thankful that there's nobody in the grave now. That you were raised from the dead. And because you raised from the dead, we raised with you to a newness of life, a fresh new life, full of all that you have and full of all that you are. Because we are in covenant with you, the Almighty God. We thank you for the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. That blood that was shed for us, that price that was paid, a price that we could not pay, that you paid for us. That we might be cleansed of all sin and step into a relationship with you. It is far grander and far greater than we ever could have imagined in our own thinking. For it was in your heart from the very beginning. And so we thank you for the blood of the Lamb. We thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice that you gave for us, that you put yourself in that position to be our substitute, that the price for sin might be paid, that it might be stamped throughout all of eternity, justice was served, that mercy to all would be opened up because of what you did on the cross for us. And so we thank you for that. And thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to live and to abide within us, to lead us, to guide us, to direct us, and to teach us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will teach each one today. We thank you for that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that each and every heart would be opened up and flooded with light, that each and every person would recognize and realize the expectation of the calling that is upon their life, that there is a new life to be had, a new life to be lived with great expectation and hope that faith would begin to arise for the future that we have in you. Thank you for the anointing, your presence in this room, that outpouring that breaks every yoke of bondage binds up the brokenness of life, brings healing to the sick, deliverance to the captive. We thank you for utterance to speak as we ought to speak today, that your word might go, might go forth with clarity and accuracy. Give us ears to hear what you are saying to us, that as it goes in, it will be seed planted, cultivated, and it will produce 30, 60, and 100 fold in the hearts and the lives of every individual. So we give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory and thanksgiving for everything that will be accomplished by your word and your spirit in each and every heart. In Jesus' mighty, matchless, and majestic name we pray. And everyone who greets it, amen. amen. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Man, it's a great day to be here with you. We're so glad that you're here. Everybody who's joining us by live stream, we're glad that you are with us. I believe God has some great things. We live in a perfect time, the right generation for us. You are in the kingdom for such a time as this. It doesn't matter what it looks like all around the world. You are here right now, ordained by God for this time, this hour, this place in history. And I'm trusting that we'll wrap our hearts and our minds around that as God speaks to you this morning as only he can. Amen? Look at somebody next to you and say, greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. And you can be seated. Open your Bibles with me to Romans, the 14th chapter. 
Romans, the 14th chapter. Just want to remind you again, all the announcements, they came out, but make sure you just go on to the church calendar. You look at the things that are available. Get involved in a small group. Uh, uh, it's just important to have that fellowship midweek with other people, uh, different small groups. They'll, you know, come and there'll be different ones that come and go, but uh, see if you can get involved in a small group. It keeps you in good fellowship, uh, brings uh, a group of people around you to encourage and to exhort you uh, in the things of God. Every time we gather together, there's something vitally important that's going on. And so in the last of the last days, Hebrews tells us that really we should never forsake the assembling of ourselves together. He said the manner of some would be to forsake the assembling. We thank God for technology, but many times we utilize that as an excuse to not assemble together. But there's something about assembling together. And, uh, you know, there's been news at different times that, you know, when we assemble together, things aren't happening properly. But when we assemble together, it's for the purpose of encouraging and edifying one another towards good works. Or, you know, as you're out there every day endeavoring to do good and all the stuff around you is banging against that, it's encouraging you to back off from doing good, we come together to encourage one another and exhort one another. We are the body of Christ. We are ordained to do good in the earth. Even if it seems like negative is pressing on all around us, we are here. We're ordained to be lights in a dark place. We are ordained to live out the goodness of God. And as people see that, the goodness of God leads people to change their thinking and change their direction away from the world towards God. Amen. And so it's very vital that we assemble together. So we're in the, the middle of a, a series of messages that we've just entitled what this scripture says, uh, Righteousness, Peace, and Joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, Peace, and Joy in the Holy Ghost. So Romans chapter 14 and verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not rules and regulations, I think the Message Bible says. But it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, just for the sake of, uh, of continuing to put this in our mind, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So the kingdom of God, uh, uh, you know, and we have many things about the kingdom of God, but he's not talking about a place called heaven, a, a destination, but he's, call, he's talking about a realm. And so the kingdom is really the, the, the place or the realm where God reigns, where Christ is king. It is a place where his will is obeyed and his power, somebody say his power, his power is released to do his will. So it's a realm of God, the kingdom of God is a realm of God. And so we live, the Bible says the kingdom of God has not only come near you, but Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. And so as we begin to understand this in a greater measure, that if the realm of God's domain or the place where God's power is released to do his will first starts within us, first starts within us, then it begins to move from us into surrounding areas of influence. And so the enemy will try to always get us to look out at the world and see how big the world is. And I'll get ahead of myself a little bit, but see how big the world is and look at it 
and tell you, look at all of the creation. Look at how big those mountains are out there. Look at all the things that are going on. Look at all the people there are in the world today. And he will try to convince you that you are insignificant in the scope of things. But when you start to understand the kingdom of God, you begin to understand, I am called and given a significant role in my life, in my family, and in this generation. So you are not without significance. So the enemy's always trying to work against this sin consciousness to make us seem like we're small. But you were created to have dominion. You were created with a significance, an importance, and a value upon your life that is realized when Christ is king. Because his power to rule, his power to have dominion, now comes upon you and begins to work as a matter of course within your being and become a part of who you are. So the kingdom of God really is this place where we understand, you know, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus made this statement. It's, it's kind of a, uh, an overriding statement. He was talking about, uh, you know, the rich young ruler had just been there, turned and walked away. Uh, because Jesus said, sell all that you have. If you want to follow me, give it to the poor and follow me. Well, he walked away. And then Jesus told his disciples, it would be easier for a rich man, uh, or it's like a rich man, it'd be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of God. And the disciples said, well, then, wow, who could enter the kingdom of God? Jesus made this statement. He said, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, within that statement, there should be an explosion. With God, all things are possible. But our mind and our mindset, because of sin consciousness, the idea of sin, we can say, wow, all things are possible. But God knows that in the realm of God's rule, all things are possible. In the realm of human understanding and simply human power, there are great impossibilities. But in the realm of God, all things are possible. All things are possible. So if we begin to understand the kingdom of God and the things that become possible to us where God's rule and domain exists, man... Why wouldn't we investigate, understand, and move deeper into the understanding of the kingdom of God? I've got a new headset here. It keeps wanting to pop off of my ear. Praise the Lord. And so we see three, three things here. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. If these three factors really are determining factors of the domain where God lives, if this is, these are, at least in part, the things that will open up possibilities that prior to have been impossible to us, then we should give this great attention. We should give these things great attention. And so the number one thing, and we began to, to open this up. How many of you are ready to take another bite of the elephant? Hopefully, you know, we said this a couple weeks ago, you know, this is big. It just kind of blows up on you. I mean, when you talk about the kingdom of God, that's what the four gospels, Jesus continually talked about the kingdom of God. 
Now listen, when he was talking about the kingdom of God, he was also trying to get across in every parable and everything that he was saying, things concerning righteousness. Things concerning righteousness. So it's just a big, it's really the main portion or, or the main part tying it together with all the attributes of it of the kingdom of God righteousness. So it grew up, blew up very big. And so, you know, uh, we decided it's like the elephant in the room. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So hopefully we took a bite uh, last week. Sometimes they're pretty big bites. You ever seen that? But we want to give you enough bite to chew on and digest throughout the week. Not just an itty bitty bite, but enough. Not too much to choke you, (laughs) but enough to chew on. And so we're going to dive a little bit more into righteousness. And I want to give you the definition of righteousness. And I want to bring a little clarity, hopefully, to a few things, because some of you, as soon as I say righteousness, your mind clicks in. I already know what that is, right standing with God. Well, it includes that, but it's not really the import or the importance of the word. The word actually means the state of him who is as he ought to be. The state of him who is as he ought to be. My hope is that we gain some understanding of righteousness to know this, that in righteousness, sickness must go. Because a body that is sick is not as it ought to be. That a heart that has taken on an offense is not as it ought to be. You weren't created to carry offense, right? A man thinking he's a woman is not as it ought to be. People who aren't married engage in sexual activity is not as it ought to be. Come on. So when we start talking about this, all of a sudden people, law, no, we're going to set you free. Because you'll think law, and you'll think, "Mm." but when we start to unlock this, you'll start to see that it's not my righteousness. It's his. And he is the one who through the blood of Jesus Christ set things as they ought to be. Now within that, there's right standing with God. Why? Because you being apart from God because of sin is not as it ought to be. It includes right living because you living in wrong ways, like we just said, is not as it ought to be to be. It includes right character, right? Because you not having any character, integrity, honesty is not as it ought to be. So see, when things aren't as they ought to be, things really start to spiral out of control. 
And we've lost an understanding of righteousness in our culture, and our leaders even come to this point. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but it really stands out to me that, you know, you can watch the news for five minutes, and people are doing things wrong, and somebody will ask a question, do you think that is right or not? And no one will answer the question. What will they answer? Somebody else did it. So in other words, if all we're doing is basing what we do that we know is wrong based on somebody else who did wrong, we are spiraling out of control as a culture. It's time for somebody to say, that isn't as it ought to be. And I don't care what other people think, we need to start setting things right. And so when our excuse is, right, not just our leaders, but posed with it, I'll be a little transparent, working on it, but in the past, it's happened. When I'm confronted by my wife about something that she might think is wrong, and it's easy for me to say, but you do it. And you know, that always starts a real confusing argument. Instead of just saying, You're right, I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. Usually ends the argument and we move forward in peace. So the enemy has tried to trap us in this consciousness of sin and always looking at that thing and beginning to compare ourselves by ourselves, which is very unwise. But setting the standard that is brought to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ will be the best. And the importance of us living in this righteousness And this governing our life rather than unrighteousness, things that are wrong governing the way we think and the way we act, they're just not right. Well, I know it's not right, but you do it will never help us get into this place of dominating and being in dominion and reigning over our life And consequently, reigning over areas that God has given us of influence and significance in our life. We can't reign over that. We can't move into those places as long as we make excuses for our wrong. And sin consciousness will always allow you and encourage you to excuse yourself. But as we'll look in, and I'm not trying to be hard. I'm actually trying to be loving because God is loving. But in fact, you could stand before me and make an excuse for your wrong or unrighteousness. I could stand before you and make an excuse. Well, it wasn't my fault, blah, blah, blah. But when we stand before Jesus, we will be without excuse. Because he made you the righteousness of God in Christ. And for every excuse that we have that we couldn't help it, it wasn't our fault. When we understand righteousness 
we understand I dominate that. That does not dominate me. And in that freedom to be who God created us to be will open up. And when the church is as it ought to be, light will spring forth. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, why, why is this so important to us? Why, why are we talking about this? Paul says this. Again, we're going to take this little snippet to make a point and then uh, move on. Uh, he said, do not be deceived. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. So who you hang around does make a difference. What you're listening to, what you're allowing to come into you, the philosophies, the ideologies that you're constantly hearing make a difference. So there needs to be a great awakening. We all talk about that, a revival, a great awakening. And Paul said there does need to be a great awakening. There needs to be an awakening. I believe with all of my heart there needs to be an awakening, as Paul said. He said, awaken to righteousness. Awaken to righteousness and do not sin. Why? For some do not have the knowledge of God. There's people out there who are groping in darkness. They're bound in sin, and they're asking, what is the way out? What does things set aright look like? And God wants to say, go over here, and I'll show you a person in whom my righteousness exists so you can see what I've done for you. So it becomes not simply about us, but it comes about for those who don't know him. They are bound in sin. They can't help but have a sin consciousness and the guilt and the shame and the self-destructive behavior that goes along with shame that is destroying lives. It's destroying minds of young people because inside there's a longing, there's a yearning, there's a consciousness of sin and the guilt and the penalty and the judgment that goes along with it, but they don't know what that is. They're just tormented on the inside and the enemy's working destruction and they're looking and they're looking for something that will satisfy and they don't know where it is and they're looking to drug. They're looking to elicit sex. They're looking to, am I even the right person? Maybe I'm supposed to be some other gender. They're looking all over, and they can't find righteousness, and it should be found in us. So that's good for you to say, Pastor, but I'm struggling with the same things. Then you need to be here every Sunday because we're going to break some myths, and we're going to destroy, and we're going to show what Jesus did for us. And we're going to come out of this going, listen, man, I've been set aright. And I'm not doing that, and I'm not thinking that, not because I have to, but because there's something in me that has revealed that I am not that person anymore. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, he says, flee also youthful us, pursue righteousness. 
Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, for they generate more strife. Quit arguing about things that don't make any difference. They just create more stuff. And a servant of the Lord. How many of you are a servant of the Lord? A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Our first initial reaction is, come on, you're in opposition? He says, no, stand there in humility, knowing that anything that you have, the wisdom that you have, the righteousness that you have, isn't yours and it didn't come from you. It came to you from Jesus and it will come to them, not by you being better than them, them being better than you, but only through one avenue and that is through him. Let's see if that helps. Okay. Praise the Lord. All right. So listen, those who are in opposition, now listen, this is why. If perhaps God will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. Listen, there's people all around us, sometimes even in the church, who don't even know they've fallen into the snare of the enemy and are under his dominion to do his will. But we are the ones that begin to break out and recognize I'm no longer under the dominion of sin. To fulfill that will of the enemy. But I've been redeemed. Whew, by the blood of the Lamb. So we are to reign in life through and in righteousness righteousness. We're to reign. The only way we really can reign is when we are as we ought to be. Sons and daughters of God. And even in that sons and daughters, he's just trying to bring us an understanding of who we are because it even goes deeper than simply sons and daughters. It's this life of God in us. There's something alive in us. There's something living through us It's a brand new nature. It's a brand new nature. So we're going to talk a little bit about how we become righteous. How we become righteous. Because again, we've come to that point of just saying, whew, I got saved and I'm in right standing with God, yet we look around and we look at our life and say, this isn't as it ought to be. There's so many things we're displeased with, even our marriage, like this isn't as it ought to be. But righteousness will set it there. Wow. I just bore false witness. 
<laughs> on my time card. And you're walking away and something on the inside says, that's not as it ought to be. But the knowledge of righteousness will turn that. And when you turn and go, hmm, I shouldn't have put that, you'll go back and make it right. Why? Because you are righteous, not in your own strength. You've been made to be righteous. So unrighteousness will bother you. Right? Because sin has a dominating factor. We read this last week, Romans 6. Don't you know? If you give yourself to sin, sin will look to have its domain. Right? It will look to enslave you. And that word uh, uh, enslaved is a Greek word, doulos. Which, guess what that word doulos is? When you read the book of Romans, the, the greeting, when you read Peter's greeting, it says, I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. That's the same word, doulos. So he said, when you yield yourself over to sin, your choice, but then you become subservient to it. But when you lend yourself, you make a decision to accept Jesus Christ, be forgiven, step into righteousness, then you become a bond servant of righteousness, which means you of yourself have turned your will over to another. You've turned your old will, your old nature, over to the righteousness of God, and now the righteousness, the rightness of God dominates your life. You can't do it. The rightness of God begins to dominate your life. Whew. The kingdom of God. Not out there somewhere. Right in here today. beginning to govern our life. So 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. You should know this. Maybe you don't. <laughs> says, if any man be in Christ. Paul is talking there. He says, listen, we don't know anybody after the flesh anymore. Right? We can look at everybody after the flesh. Now, we'll get into that because we think of it and say, I don't know you after the flesh. But he says, we no longer, because of this place we're at, we no longer know each other after the sin nature. We no longer look and say, look at a bunch of failures. Look at all these people who are just bound by sin and have no choice. No. Any man that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things being dominated by a sin nature is passed away. And behold, the governing force of your life has become brand new. And all this governing force of your life is of God who has reconciled you to himself through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's given you the ministry of reconciliation. Then he tells you what that ministry is. He said, now that you have become righteous, now that you have been reconciled back to God, he said, I'm going to tell you how to tell somebody what somebody told you. The ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ Jesus, not imputing your trespasses to you. 
In other words, God wasn't reminding you over and over that you're going to hell because of your trespasses. He sent Jesus to say, listen, I love you, and I want to bring you out of your trespasses and sins and set you right. Set you right. Set you right. Wow, set you right. What does that look like? Me set right. Wow. You and me set right looks like we have no sin, and it looks like we never did. How we miss this over and over in the church when you read the Bible is kind of astounding. We covered it in Covenant Connections. That all the book of Hebrews was always trying to tell us the blood of bulls and goats, religious activity, may be able to cover, but it can't cleanse. It may be able to cover, but it can't take away. But the blood of Jesus... The blood of Jesus is not covering your sin. The blood of Jesus is washing it away. It washes it so it does not exist anymore. Which is as it ought to be. So he said, we become ambassadors of this. We become those who represent Christ to the people around us. We represent him in that place of purity, of holiness. And we tell them, we urge them, we compel them. We stress in, upon them, come to Jesus. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become, somebody say become, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. You're not just trying to get to heaven. There's a transformation and you have become something different. You are no longer sinful by nature. You have become the righteousness of God in Christ. So there's a process to getting there. And sometimes we try to just leapfrog the process in our understanding, but I believe it's very important for us to understand the process. I don't want to bore you with this, but it's very important. And if you get a hold of it and there's a revelation that comes, you'll be free. And what has dominated your life in your thoughts, in your emotions, and in your actions, you'll start to step on. You'll take authority. It'll be under your foot. And you'll rejoice every day when the enemy comes with his old strategy. And you're able to say, that's not who I am anymore. Sorry, you are under my feet. Because your sin, your wrongdoing, no longer has dominion. So the first thing that we realize is sin came into the world. Sin. Well, what is sin? Well, I'll just give you a real simple definition of what sin is. Sin is self-will over God's will. Self-will over God's will. 
So how can you describe it like that? Because in the garden, God said, don't eat of the tree. They stood at the tree and decided, I will make my own decision about this tree apart from God's decision. And sin was birthed through what? Disobedience. Disobedience. So sin, right, has an active expression. When we understand this through righteousness, we begin to, to understand, you know, the, the, odd, uh, the adverse or, or converse of some scriptures that we have. You know, James said, Listen, faith, faith without corresponding action is dead faith. In other words, you can say, I believe God, I believe God, I believe God. But if you never act on it, it will never really produce anything. If you don't speak it, it will never produce anything. Well, understand this, doubt and sin actually need a corresponding action. They need cooperation from us. That's why sin consciousness and the devil saying, you can't help it. You're just simply still a sinner saved by grace. Because if you're just a sinner, you can't help it. Sinners sin. And so he can get you to correspond with disobedience because that's who you are. But at the moment you realize that's not who I am anymore. Now I begin to respond in faith to obedience to God much more easily because I know that I'm not a sinner. I've been made righteous. So it starts with sin. With sin is condemnation. Because of that, there needs to be justification. And from justification comes righteousness. And through righteousness, there is sanctification, which ends in the action of holiness. And when we start being holy as he is holy, the enemy will have no lot or part with you. Thank you for your enthusiasm. So how do I know I have the true victory? Because I'm living in holiness. Now, all the picture in people's minds. See, we're even looking. You can, like, hear it in the room. What is holiness? We've lost even touch with what holiness is. We start thinking, what is holiness? So we'll try to get to that point. But holiness is the actual corresponding action to the understanding or the revelation that you are the righteousness of God. So Romans chapter 3 Romans chapter 3, we're just gonna, I'm going to try to break this down for you real quick. <laughs> just one bite at a time. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. We worked at 10 through 20 to show you the old man, the nature of the old man. Now people are saying, well, now this righteousness stuff, nobody's righteous. The Bible even says there's none righteous. Well, you have to keep reading. So he said, there's none righteous. He explained man's condition under the Adamic fall or under Adam's sin. Under Adam's sin, you cannot be righteous. So he comes to all that. If you read it, if you haven't read it, read it. And then he says, but, but now. That was how it is, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness, wait a minute, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. 
For there is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So again, he puts us in that place that we started in Ephesians 2. We can't be boastful or proud of where we're at because everybody's sin. Our humility comes because I didn't get myself out of this mess of the bondage of sin. Only Jesus did. So he said, freely, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate to demonstrate his righteousness. So it's important to see what he's demonstrating, his righteousness, because we have become his righteousness. Right? There's a lot of places that say he, his righteousness. Why do we want to pay attention to that? Because we have become his righteousness. We have become the righteousness of God. So what does his righteousness look like? What does it look like? So it says, um, his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So he's the justifier. So we looked at this last week, that justification we have to understand justification. So again, this terminology, we brought it up to be easy to understand. Justification means just as if I never did it. Just as if I never did it. Well, you can grab that. I'm in right relationship with God. Well, how did you get in right relationship with God? Because God set things right through the blood of Jesus. Well, how did it become just as if you had never done it? Because somebody had to justify you. They had to declare you to be righteous. They had to declare you to be righteous. So we looked at this last week, you know, just a couple of examples. Napoleon uh, in his French army, he gave a, Rome, uh, uh, a Russian prince the ability to pardon one prisoner. So he, he knew he couldn't really pardon a prisoner that didn't really admit his guilt. So he went through the whole prison, like 99 prisoners said they weren't there justly, they didn't do anything wrong. But one prisoner said, I deserve what I'm getting. I did what they said I did. I'm getting the punishment I deserved. And he said, there's the person. There's the person that I can pardon. There's the person I can declare of my own will that he is righteous. Restored to righteousness. The other example is the king who won his mighty army, destroyed the enemy, and after he had destroyed the enemy in the towns because they had given up a great resistance, so he destroyed everything, he said, they have to come in. And they came in and they bowed down as a defeated foe. And he said, now because you've bowed down and admitted that you were defeated, I declare that all your cities be rebuilt, everything done, and you will be declared as my children. See, they couldn't do it themselves. They were defeated. They had been brought under the subjection or the defeat of the enemy. When we admit this, 1 John 1, 9 is essential in saying, I confess my sin. I'm guilty of the mistake that I've made. I'm guilty of sin. When we do that, then Jesus what does what? He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrightness, which means when you're cleansed of all unrightness, you are restored to as it ought to be. But you can't do that without justification. And when you understand justification, justification comes to you freely by grace. Now listen to this. I think this is just an awesome um, 
relating of grace. <clears throat> we, we, we brought one part of that from uh, uh, um, Romans 6, but listen to this. <clears throat> says he gives, gives it freely. That just means without just cause, he, he gives freely. But this grace is charis, which signifies in classical authors, a favor done out of spontaneous generosity of the heart without any expectation of return. Of course, this favor was always done to one's friend, never to an enemy. But when charis comes into the New Testament, it takes an infinite leap forward. For the favor of God, what the favor of God did at Calvary was for those who hated him. It was a favor done out of the spontaneous generosity of God's heart. His heart of love with no expectation of return. There are no strings attached to grace. It is given gratuitously. Of course, grace in the form of salvation is so adjusted that the one who receives it turns from sin to serve the living God and to live a holy life. This is what grace does, to live a holy life. For grace includes not only the bestowal of a righteousness, but the inward transformation consisting of the power of indwelling sin broken and the divine nature implanted. We get one amen. amen. See, come on, if, if, if you get this, we'll have a running meeting. Yeah. Woo! Come on. Because what have we heard about grace? Unmerited favor, unmerited favor, like God's friend, and it'll cover it, it'll cover it. Oh, I can sin, I can do all this wrong stuff, and grace will cover it. And we've been deceived. No, grace is something so much more powerful. It is gracious. It's given freely, but it's so powerful. Because when grace came in, it eliminated and broke the old nature of sin that was dominating you. But it didn't just break it and throw it away. It implanted the divine nature. Nature change. Nature change. We no longer are governed by the old nature of Adam's sin that took a hold of us, but we have a new nature. We have been made to partake of the divine nature. Freely, his grace, his empowerment is through his nature, not our own strength, not our might, not our power, but the Spirit. Midnight tonight, I'm trusting you're laying there in bed, and you're like, whoa, I got it. Sin's broken. I don't have to do that anymore. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That old man is dead. Wait, I'm not done. All right, I'll, I'll calm down. How quiet. The divine nature implanted, which liberates the believer 
from the compelling power of sin and makes him hate sin. Love holiness and gives him the power to obey the word of God. The grace shown the believer is made possible through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ. Wow. So that's what he said. He said, everybody's sin. You, we all have sin. And the enemy in that sin consciousness is like, there you are. But he said, because we all sin, doesn't matter who you are, it came through Adam's sin. God freely gave grace to justify you. It was that grace, that power, that divine nature that said, I pardon you from sin, but I don't just pardon you from sin. I break and release you from all the effects, all the penalties. And the sentence that marked your life. All right, Romans 6 or Romans 5. Come on, if we get this, we'll start to see, whew, now I get it, the kingdom, the domain of God, where he reigns and things in my life. You cannot be doing that yet. Go ahead. You can. <laughs> whew, when unrighteousness comes, when sin comes to pull at you, and you're like, whew, no. And I don't go, well, no, if I eat the right thing, and I drink the right thing, and I do the right thing, the religious right thing, that'll, do, that'll be all right. Even if I sin today, I'm doing the religious right thing, and, but I'm still governed by that old thing. No, no. We understand the kingdom, the reign of God is this righteousness. And righteousness and sin can't exist in the same place because sin is wrong. And righteousness is right. Not that anybody ever wanted to do that, but we've been deceived for so long into thinking, how are we ever going to overcome this? But if perchance the Holy Spirit will grant unto us revelation, we will have enormous breakthrough. This is going much slower than I thought. Romans. <laughs> Where am I at? Help me, Jesus. All right. Romans chapter 5. It says, therefore, wait a minute, Romans chapter 5, verse 16. He said, and the gift, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. Everybody say condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through one. So see, we were, we were governed by this sin consciousness. Condemnation means judgment with a sentence. Judgment with a sentence. So inherently, whether you know it or not, the wages of sin is death. You're living with it. Without Christ, you're living with the understanding that the wages of sin is death. Sin had a sentence on it. Sin already had a judgment accompanied with it. 
So the judgment was, there's a sentence. What is the sentence? Death, separation from God for all of eternity that was there when sin came in. But God didn't just match it to bring you back. He brought justification. So the result of justification is not like the offense. It didn't just get you out. It totally set you free into an enormous newness of life. A new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of acting, a new way of emoting. It's bigger. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. He said, listen, if death reigned, there had to be something that came even greater and reigned over that death that was reigning. So he's not just coming up and saying, there's a battle right here that will equal and it'll go on for a long time. He said, no, I raised you. And where you reign in me is higher than where death reigned. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Praise the Lord. So listen to this. Justification is the act of God declaring men free from guilt and making them acceptable to him. The same authority explains unto acquittal, which brings with it the bestowment of life. The words of life are genitive, of description in the Greek text, describing the quality of righteousness bestowed upon man. It is a righteousness which is connected with the impartation of spiritual life. In itself, this righteous standing is a purely legal matter and does not impart life nor change character. Okay, let's just get that. He said, in itself, just right, righteousness or righteous standing. See, this is where I'm in right standing. He said, this righteous standing is purely a legal manner. And it does not impart life nor change character. But it is accompanied. It is accompanied. So when we're like, I'm in right standing. If we don't understand, this is why I'm saying it's not just right standing. It's things being set right which is what? The life and the breath of God in you. The life and the breath of God in you. Not you trying to live a God life. The life and the breath of God living in you. So it's a legal matter. It does not impart life nor change character, but it is accompanied by the life that God is. It's accompanied by the life that God is. Imparted to the believer in regeneration. So if we just go, well, I've been made righteous. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm in right standing with God. He said, okay. But really that righteousness standing with God 
didn't do all that because it has to be set right. You have to know that right standing with God means that all sin was put away with and God set things as they ought to be, which is me, you, without sin. Why? Because sin could not come into his presence, nor could his presence really come into our sin. But because Jesus became sin, we've become the righteousness of God. So it's all about the Holy Spirit, that regenerative life. So Pastor Tasha is talking about praying in the Holy Ghost on Sunday night. We go, oh no, here we go. But listen, when you understand it, see, we're trying so hard to get this live like God life. But it's not that. It's allowing God life to come forth from you. Because God life through the new birth, regeneration, is in you. The kingdom, the domain, the realm where Jesus is king is in you. It's in you by the Holy Spirit. So I thought we'd get to this today, but we won't. But next week, maybe I'm here next week. Next week, we're going to grab a hold of the end of Romans chapter 7. We're going to punch it right in the mouth. Oh, I so relate to Romans chapter 7. I want to do good, but I can't do it. Sin consciousness, Paul said I had it, but Romans 8 segues and said, not anymore. So those of us who have relied upon Romans 7 as our excuse, will have no more excuse. So perchance, there's anybody in here. I just want to read this story. Anybody's watching? We're closing. Okay, where's my story? Praise the Lord. Just a second. Here it is. Just thought this was an appropriate way to stir your heart, but also to help you understand this transformation and never wait to say this is what I'm going to do if you're here and you say well, you know what that clears up some things for me I want to walk in this would be a great day to lay it all down and say here's where I've been I understand justification and what justification did and we'll find this out I'll get ahead of myself the reason that there's no condemnation, there is no longer a sentence of death on your life through Jesus Christ, is because when Jesus died with, had become sin, he actually pronounced the end sentence of death on sin reigning in your life. He condemned sin. Where sin brings condemnation to you, Jesus condemned sin. The judgment of sin was met. The justice of sin was met. See, to say I'm still a sinner, just saved by grace, doesn't show the justice that was met on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin. Why? 
so that sin once and for all and the power of it and the sentence of it could once and for all be abolished. The dominating force of it could be abolished over every human being that would receive, would admit, I am a sinner of sin and receive justification. And in that justification, righteousness. But you have to receive it. You have to believe it. So I love this story. It talks about God's boundless riches of his grace for the most lost and sinful. If they will only accept the gift, receive it simply by, by simply trust. But we shall be lost by unbelief, more certainly than by the darkest crime of which human nature is capable. He said, listen, there's a lot of bad stuff going on. But in our situation, the worst will be unbelief, not accepting. Listen to this story. I like this. It said, once an English landlord, in order to teach his peasantry the lesson of trusting God, offered a certain day to pay the debts of all his tenantry if they would bring him a statement of all their debts and accept as a gift his generous bounty. The morning came and he waved his, uh, he, he waited in his office until the hour of noon. According to the announcement, which he had widely published, the people gathered in curious knots around the street and wondered what it all meant. They could not understand such liberal generosity and they waited for someone to go in and prove he really meant it. And then they would all go in for their share. But the day wore on, and none of them seemed willing to go in. Let's just wait and see. At last, an aged couple came along, and tottering up the steps, approached the door. The people outside crowded around them and said eagerly, now be sure to hurry through and tell us about it. The old couple went in, and the landlord received them very kindly, looked over their statement, paid the debts gladly, and then asked them if there was anything more he could do for their comfort. He said that he had a certain sum of money that he intended to spend in this way, but none of the people seemed to want it. So he gave the old couple enough to buy a little cottage and provided for all the needs of their closing days. They poured out their thanks with tears and joys, tear and tears and joy. When they arose to go, he detained them a few moments, chatting pleasantly with them until the clock struck 12. Then he arose, opened the door for them to pass out and said, the time that I appointed in the announcement has now expired and other engagements call me away. He bade them goodbye and as they tottered feebly down the steps, the crowd eagerly pressed about them asking, did he really pay your debts? Did he mean it? The old people looked at them with astonishment in their faces and said, why, of course he did. 
the people now hasten to the door, anxious to enter. But before they reached it, he passed out and with a polite bow hurried away saying, good morning, neighbors. I am sorry you were so late, but another engagement calls me away. The time has expired. The opportunity has passed. Oh, how sorry they were that they had not trusted his word. Goes on to say the next Sabbath as he talked with them in his mission hall about the promises of Jesus and what they mean. Many hearts realized they had never before the folly of wickedness and unbelief. Blessed trusting in God that he means what he says. We're talking about this righteousness. He means what he says. To cleanse you of all sin. So I want to invite you today to take him at his word. Whatever's been going on in your life, if you are one of those that has been convinced I'm just a sinner, I'm just hoping to make it to heaven, to lay it all before him, to rededicate our life, say, here's where I've messed up. I'm just going to admit it. I'm going to throw myself on your mercy and upon your grace. We just saw what grace will do. And whether it's for the first time or once again, say, I call you Lord. So that indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit will build me up, will dominate my life, and it, that strength of that will cause me to overcome the temptation of sin that pulls on my life to try to dominate and govern my life. I will stand in opposition to that because I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Praise the Lord. Between you and God, we're going to pray a prayer wherever you are. Just realizing right now this would have been a good morning to take communion. But you can do it when you go home. It'd be a great time to acknowledge him. The blood of Jesus, the body broken for our sacrifice. Father, we thank you this morning. Holy Spirit, I thank you this morning. For granting unto us that wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you and your righteousness. That because you are righteous, you are just. When you sent Jesus, it showed how just you were. You met all the requirements that justice would be served. That the sentence of sin was death. And you sent Jesus to meet the requirement of that justice. The moment that his spotless blood was poured out. Oh, how your grace and your mercy flowed and flows to all who believe to wash away the sin 
of Adam's disobedience, which dominated our life, held us captive, wouldn't allow us to fulfill our divine destiny in your will. But because of that bloodshed, your grace came. So today, we acknowledge our sin. We've disobeyed you. For those of us that have accepted you, we acknowledge disobedience for the lack of knowledge of our righteousness. We ask you today to forgive us. For those who have never known you, we acknowledge that we've sinned under Adam's disobedience and we lay that before you as guilty. We know you shed your blood, but through your grace, not our deeds, we might be justified. So we receive the forgiveness of our sin. We receive the abundance of your grace. We receive your gift of righteousness. We denounce the lordship of sin over our life now. We declare you, Jesus, as Lord and Master. And Holy Spirit, now lead us, guide us, teach us, empower us to understand that we become the righteousness of God. We yield to you now the life of the Spirit to live above the dominion of sin to live free from it you guide us you urge us when we're looking to make a wrong decision our own will over God's convict us, urge us that we might stop before we ever act if perchance we act, we will come right to you, acknowledge you, and allow you to wash it away from our life. That we truly might understand the domain, the reigning in life that you've ordained for us to have in and through your righteousness. Thank you for saving us from the power of sin making us yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you want any further prayer, the altar workers will be up here to pray with you, to minister to you, to help you. Praise the Lord. Hopefully that wasn't too big a bite, but something we can chew on and continue to digest. As we digest it, it'll become a nutrient, part of our strength in our life. Why don't you stand up with me? Say as we go, what God did in Christ Jesus.
Fire exceeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day. We'll see you at 6 o'clock tonight.